0: The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for the final day of June. Is it ugh, this year? Half over? Already? Good Lord. June 30th, 2021. It is your old pal, Justin Robert Young. All right. Now, now many of you may be expecting an episode on this D.C. infrastructure deal today. And I guarantee you that Friday's episode, we are going to go into that and more with our old friend, Bill Scher. We'll have a little bit more information on exactly what has gone on with the deal and where it might be headed at that point. But I wanted to take a little bit of a, uh, a little, a little bit of a breather. Not cover the same things that we've hit over and over and over and over and over again. We just got through with the New York thing. We've spent so much time on Capitol Hill over the past few months that I just needed to do something different, guys. Good God, I needed to. So I took a vacation in my mind to Australia. We are going to talk about what's happening in Australia right now. Because it is unlike anything else that I have seen around the world in terms of how they're dealing with COVID now. On Sunday, the United States did something that it has not done in over a year. And that is, have a day where less than 100 people died. 92 people died in America of COVID on Sunday. That is remarkable. Again, March 2020 was the last time that we had a two digit death day. And we have very often had four digit death days during some of the highest of our uh, outbreaks, the highs of our outbreaks. Australia, not so much. And yet they remain. Under lockdown, we will explore all of that. We will also be joined by the one, the only Kevin Ryan. If you are a longtime listener to this show, then you know that the conversations with Kevin can go wherever they 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 they, they dare want to go. And with this one, I wanted to reexplore something that uh, we got a little bit of feedback on. And that is the concept of critical race theory. You might have heard of it a lot. In general, I I try not to dig into culture war issues before they become election issues. But when it comes to philosophy, few in life do I enjoy talking to more than Kevin Ryan. He is a very well-learned man. On that subject, and uh, we go well beyond. Trust me. If if you heard critical race theory and you immediately rolled your eyes because uh, you think it's an empty talking point on the right, you're gonna enjoy this. And if you heard critical race theory and your 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 hands involuntary balled into fists and you, and your eyes became bloodshot like the close up of a Ren and Stimpy cartoon, don't worry. This is something the likes of which, you know, you will not hear on Fox News. You will not hear on MSNBC. We don't get deep. We get cosmic. Ah. speak to you from my recording booth in Austin, Texas, over 80% of the citizenry in the country of Australia is locked down on some level. They are restricted in what they can do, the businesses that can operate, and how they can go about it. This is because three of their major cities are under lockdown. Now, that irascible island nation of Australia has always been in a rock and a hard place when it comes to COVID. First, they're close to China, where the outbreak began. They have a population that famously loves to take extended vacations throughout the world. Not to mention, they are a tourist destination themselves. What with their metropolitan locales and sunny beaches. And the fact that they're you know, on the opposite weather schedule of us. <laughs> so like there are our, our summers or their winters. So if you ever just want to screw off and have the, uh, the opposite weather, you could just go to Australia. They're also an island, which is notoriously strict about what is and is not brought into their relatively closed ecosystem. Don't believe me. Here's Johnny Depp and his then wife, Amber Heard, doing what can only be described as a hostage public service announcement after being busted bringing two of their undeclared dogs into the country. Australia is free of many pests and diseases that are commonplace around the world. That is why Australia has to have such strong
1: biosecurity laws. And Australians are just as unique, both warm and direct. When you disrespect Australian law, they will tell you firmly. I am truly sorry that Pistol and Boo were not declared. Protecting
0: Australia is important. Declare everything when you enter Australia. So if you're going to talk about Australia and COVID to me, and look, I'm a jamoke over here in America. I don't have any kind of particular insight into Australia. This is just my my, my lay of the land from my vantage point. but but I think if you're gonna talk about COVID in Australia, you have to understand it initially from that position that they are very, very, very hyper focused about things getting out of control on the island. bugs, dogs, ticks, bats, wildflowers, whatever. They're very concerned about something going wild and them not being able, to control it. So, like many island nations, when you go to Australia, you are quizzed about what you are taking in and out of their borders. And as Depp found out, there are consequences for fibbing. By the time of this recording, Australia has experienced 910 COVID deaths. Let me say this unequivocally, if you are judging Australia's reaction to COVID by how many people who have gotten sick and how many people have died, they have not done well. They've done exceptional. They have been able, again, 910 people have died. I remember when I was looking at daily death tolls for America and I was like, thank God it's under 1,000 for a day. That's been them through the last year and change. Now, they've achieved this by locking down their borders, first and foremost, and imposing lockdowns when even a handful of cases are recorded. They call these circuit breaker lockdowns snap shutdowns of businesses and social traffic so contact tracers can get a hold of the spread of the disease. Normally, they, they have these happen for a couple days, you know, three-day period, something like that. Australia's last major outbreak of COVID-19, indeed, their biggest outbreak to date, one that they have recovered from since, in terms, if we're defining that, by people getting COVID or dying from COVID. That last outbreak happened in June of 2020. But again, the problem is they are
1: still locking down. Lockdown is designed to act as a circuit breaker to buy our contact tracers and testing systems time to gain a truer picture of how far this outbreak has spread. We received confirmation last night that we are indeed dealing with the Delta variant of COVID-19. The evidence of the transmission between the three cases known yesterday was highly concerning, as was the magnitude above what we have seen in prior outbreaks. We didn't want to risk the virus getting out of control. We want to crush this. That outbreak. was from
0: Monday, June 28, 2021. We it's Western Australia Premier Mark McGowan describing the need for a circuit breaker lockdown in the city of Perth. And it's just not out west. Three of Australia's biggest cities are currently locked down, nearly 80% of the population. As you heard in the report, the villain is the Delta variant, which is known to be more transmissible. But you got to ask yourself, Why on earth is this happening? They won. They did it. They were able to stay south of a thousand dead Australians throughout the entire meat of the pandemic. The vaccines are out. How on earth are they still imposing such harsh lockdowns? Australia is not a poor country. They're the uh, 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 12th largest economy in the world. And surely, a nation that is so focused on maintaining their health, they would be proactive in making sure that they got vaccines for their citizens. Right? Well, not so much. Australia's vaccinated 14% of its population with at least one shot. That's in comparison to 50% of Americans and 57% in the United Kingdom. Why have they botched their vaccine rollout? Three words: supply, supply, supply. A fight with the European Union, who had their own rollout issues, delayed delivery of the AstraZeneca vaccine, which was to make up the vast majority of the stock that they would use to vaccinate the citizens. Problem is is that when AstraZeneca arrived, it came with a controversy over blood clots. That led the Australian government, cautious though they might be, to revise their guidance for AstraZeneca to say that only people over 60 should get the shot. That leaves the rest of the Aussies to take the Pfizer shot, which as of now is in short supply. The Novavax and Moderna shots have yet to be approved in Australia. Now, Pfizer does say that they are going to deliver 40 million doses of their shot to Australia. That theoretically would be enough to cover the majority of the country's 25 million population with two shots each. But the question is, when? When are those shots going to get there? And then when they do get uh, get, get there, considering how cold those shots need to be kept, there is still a question of if everything rolls out correctly. That's not a given. And that's before we get into the idea of vaccine hesitancy in Australia. And beyond that, we still have lingering over the government and the people the idea that if only a handful of people get COVID in any Given city or territory, the government locks everything down. Make no mistake, the tension is beginning to build. Australia's borders are still locked down. International tourism, both inbound and outbound, is non-existent. Prime Minister Scott Morrison says that those will not reopen until herd immunity is reached. That's 80% of the population, something that not even the early adopter countries like Israel, the United Kingdom and the United States are particularly close to as of now. Scott Morrison has said that he can't commit to opening up the borders by Christmas of 2021. Indeed, he has recently suggested that it could take until mid 2022. That would be two full years since the beginning of the last major outbreak. Australia's citizens have been patient with these restrictions. A sub 1,000 death toll is Something that they should be proud of. But I do wonder if things are hitting a breaking point. Between the slow vaccine rollout and the repeated shutdowns, is there a reckoning coming for Australia's politicians? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, thank you, thank you very much for listening to this show. It is uh, greatly appreciated. Uh, Real quick, of course, takepoliticsseriously.com. Uh, sign up at the $3 level. You get two bonus podcasts. Our, our Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show where we break down everything that's said on the Sunday talk shows. And uh, I tell you basically the, the the Rosetta Stone of what you should look for in the world of political messaging and maneuvering. And then our late edition, which comes out on Thursday, which is the latest uh, window that we have to cover live news as it happens Please support us. Uh, uh, you know we we have continued to see an erosion on the Patreon since the highs of the 2020 election, which is uh, to be expected. But I do believe that a lot of this content is very well worth it. Even and and even specifically, if you are somebody that um, is a little burnout, I, I I'm I'm doing it for you guys. The bonus content. A way for you to continue to survive and understand and be well-informed as the bullets aren't exactly flying in the way that they were in 2020. So thank you to everybody who's done it. We would very much appreciate more people on Inside the Tent. com. I want to plug two things uh, before we keep going and get to Kevin. One. Uh, All four episodes of the brand new Dog and Pony Show audio series, World's Greatest Con, are available now. If you have not given it a chance, I would highly recommend it now. You're not going to have to wait week by week. uh, You'll be able to binge all four of the scripted episodes. It's hosted by Brian Brushwood. It was co-written largely by, by myself and Dog and Pony Show, which is my production company, uh, edited it, uh, and produced it. So it's something I'm extraordinarily proud of. The reaction to it has been gigantic. Thank you, uh, for those who already supported it. If you like me at all, trust me, you're going to love world's greatest con. Second thing, another Brian project. Uh, many of you might know that I do a comedy show You might have known that comedy show. If you're a hardcore fan as BB Live Show, you might have then known it as NSFW show on the Twit Network. You might have then known it as the Night Attack program on uh, uh, our own independent pirate ship. But it is rechristened on, uh, or it's rechristened this week as Great Night. If you already subscribed to Night Attack, uh, then you'll be able to get all the episodes uh, out to you immediately because you're uh, it's going to be the same RSS feed. But I would highly recommend that you uh, uh, go find Great Night, the Great Night podcast. It is a reimagined version of the show. Now that I live in Austin, Texas, it is an all live show. Every other iteration that I just told you guys about uh, was v- the vast majority me being remote, either when I was living in Florida or when I was living in California. Live comedy needs to be live. And for the first time ever, Brian Brushwood and myself are in the same room. We have built a set that is a playground for us to have as much fun as we possibly can. Uh, Go ahead and follow twitch.tv slash Attack. To uh, see the visuals of it It will be on its own YouTube channel uh, Going forward But guys uh, I'm so proud of it Uh, And uh, as I record this It is our first Production day So uh, great night And World's Greatest Con Go check those out Thank you guys very much Let's go ahead and get together Our guest today is a writer, a thinker, a man about town, a father and the co-creator of Feature Story, a dog and pony show production. He is the one, the only, the erudite, Kevin Ryan. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Good to be here, Justin. Robert Young. So a listener emailed me. And said, uh, uh, who was the guest that was talking about critical race theory? And it was you. But, uh, uh, of course, I didn't remember it because you mentioned it in a very Kevin way to mention it. in like, like I don't know, man, I'm going down this rabbit hole of critical race theory. Uh, so I, I, I have, have had it on my mind of like, all right, well, now we're, we're out of the point where elections are are happening uh, uh, do I want to dive into stuff like this where it's like it will affect elections that the, the the Republicans obviously believe that this is a winning issue for them. But instead of getting into the nuts and bolts of critical race theory, I kind of wanted to use it as a jumping off point for a big meta topic, because I think we're at our best, me and you. And we're talking about, you know, the the lo- looking looking at politics from the cosmic perspective. Based on what I can see with critical race theory and the conversation wrapped around it, it's a, you know, it's easy to get lost in the details of what it is and when it began and how controversial it is and how radical it really is. And at its most elemental to me, seems like a a conservative reaction to loss of control. That 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 we are, uh, you know, now our kids, what's the most vulnerable way that you can express the fact that we no longer have control of our lives? And that's when I drop my kids off at school, they're being taught something that I find not right. And I have no recourse to uh, uh, stop it. Like, I I feel like that those are, are, are the hallmarks. So before we go any further, uh, this is a multi-step point. Do, do you agree with the, the, my, my general idea of why this has become a resonant issue?
1: Uh, halfway. Uh, okay. Because I think what we're seeing is the, uh, this is a tug, tug of war. Yeah. A cultural tug of war. And you can tell that's the case because the, the like explanations for why either side is frustrated with this, uh, they keep changing. Uh, I think there are some serious problems with critical race theory that we need to be able to address. Um, And on this issue, I I sort of side with the conservatives a a little more than I do uh, because I I don't know. I love critical theory. I read a ton of critical theory. uh, And so that's not the problem.
0: And here, um, hold on, hold on, hold on. Just can you can you describe for uh, uh, folks who have not spent any time in academia what 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 okay. critical theory is when
1: you say it like that? For sure. Um, so one, the most basic explanation I can give is that um, where uh, where the right kind of sees the individual as the key to changing society. Um, critical rate or critical theory looks at uh, what society is doing and holds society accountable for it instead of blaming the individual. So, one of my favorite critical uh, critical theorists is a guy named young Chul Han. Uh, he's a Korean uh, German philosopher who's you know he writes in German mm-hmm. and. One of his big ideas is that we live in the burnout society. And um, our problem is that we've individualized our lives so much and that we uh, we're constantly being awarded for self-exploitation and for the um, like uh, critical theory is based originally on, um, you know, Marxist ideas from the Frankfurt School. And this like a group of thinkers in Germany who, uh, who, who lived through World War II and a lot of them moved to America. And so you have, you have ideas like the Frankfurt School and, and the, the basic kind of commodification of our lives that sort of inevitably, inevitably happens. So in many ways, it's a, it's a critique of the capitalist society that we find ourselves in. And I think a lot of what they're saying is, is incredibly valuable, you know, it's, and it's, uh, it's an iter- iteration of Marxist thought, Yeah, but, but, but it's also a critique it, of Marxist thought.
0: If, 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 if we could really, 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 you know, a, a fortune cookie version of, of what it is, is that we can better judge our civilization by how our society is doing and and really the society the individuals can feed off the society in a way that uh our our very individualized thought of no 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 it is the the action of all if a if, if hundred individuals are all functioning at a top level that's what makes a healthy society that that would be the 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 two different schools of thought is that one the the society feeds the individuals the other the individuals feed and create the society right?
1: For sure. And okay. As, as usual, I think you and I are sort of, we're we in agreement that we need to find a middle ground between those two.
0: Well, I mean, I think like, it's always so frustrating whenever, and this is why I like our conversations, because I think we can kind of, when I'm talking to you, we can kind of take the mask off a little bit and be like, no, here's. The, the 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 reality is there is no two sides. There's a jillion sides. There's a million, <laughs> yeah. there's the galaxy worth of sides. Like yeah. and so so really you're just deciding which sun you want to live near and and whether or not you summer in another solar system. Like that's 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 the reality of 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 what's happening here. And so, you know, when when we get into the 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 bumper stickerization of arguments, which is what politics is, uh mm you know and 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 I don't want to deny it that it deserves to be that it lives to be that like uh you know we, we we kind of get into a very reductive point of view but but please continue going with with critical theory and and how that dovetails into critical race theory
1: uh so uh, another guy i would recommend i think uh cuz i think it's important to to read uh living philosophers i i love you know all the way back to aristotle and plato but I there's there are a lot of things that have happened since then. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> I know. Man, Aristotle wasn't on Tinder. Like, yeah, you know, like exactly. there's a there's a lot of stuff that, that is uh, very much a part of people's lives that could, I don't know, affect this philosophy thing.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's it's like uh Carl Jasper said, you know, e- even if you uh if, even if you say there is no philosophy, you're engaged in philosophy. Uh so there's no way around it. Um uh another guy I would recommend. Uh, it's, he's an exciting read is Bifo Berardi. He's an Italian philosopher who is uh, he was involved in like the 1968, um, the, that whole movement in Paris. And mm-hmm. he, he's in, he's uh, and here's the thing. Here, here's where I am critical of conservatives is like they got to make their their writing more fun. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, uh, it's never there's like this uprising within conservative media or, or conservative thought it's never going to happen until they find a way to to like place the enjoyment of what's happening like Bifo Bar- berardi he's got a book called future ability which is like if anyone reads it i would recommend reading the first the opening chapter last um, because it's it's pretty involved. It's political. He's taking a position from you know, he, he's like a former communist. And yeah. uh, in his own words, he's like, there are good communists. Uh, and he is basically uh, critiquing the society we live in uh, and looking at the future abil- or the, the, the possibilities of uh, future goodness and some of his conclusions, I, I don't necessarily agree with, and I don't think that there are uh, you know every uh, second or every third person is a fascist. Um, but it's important to read these perspectives. Um, and it, you asked how that kind of dovetails into critical race theory. Well,
0: but hold on, hold on, hold on. We know we're 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 gonna take we're gonna take a a, a, a detour because I want I want to stay on this idea. I that, love uh, our detours because I want to stay on this idea that the the conservative while there has been a an explosion of conservative media there really hasn't been much of an evolution in terms of like you're either the smart ass or you're like howard stern like that's pretty much it i mean like like understanding that radio on some level all conservative radio will be a, a echo or a reaction to Rush Limbaugh. But even in writing, you know who we really don't have anymore is like a a, a, a P.J. O'Rourke or, or, or mm-hmm. anybody that like for for a minute. And it's funny because Tucker Carlson was kind of of this ilk for for, you know, the early part of his career. But sure. there was this archetype of the very erudite, super clever conservative. Like uh, you know, maybe even like, uh, 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 you know, Dave Barry obviously is not a, a political writer, but he's sort of whenever he edges into that, he 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 tends to be a little bit more individualistic. But it was like like in in that uh, uh system, and really nobody's taken that archetype, like like the idea that you could you know use big SAT words to dismantle communism in a hilarious way that also points out the the ample foibles of life, like. Okay. I, I guess maybe there's just not that audience, you know, there it's, it, it, it's very, um, you know, blood sporty. It's very, you know, a uh, 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 name calling, which again is like, you know, it's not to say that it doesn't exist on the left or it just, it, it's, it's interesting when, when you said that, I'm like, yeah, you know, there's, and, and I don't know whether or not it's because the channels by which the super literate uh, uh, book Gets popular or gets recognized, just doesn't exist anymore. Like even if it's not going to get attacked, it might not get the shine that a PJ O'Rourke book would have in 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 the past. But uh, you're 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 right. I guess the the only the, the the things that can go mass market for for conservative thought is like, you know, uh, uh you know, Stephen Crowder.
1: You know and the the crazy thing is there's, it's only a matter of time before, and that's, um, a big part of why I'm, I'm, I'm here, you know, I'm, 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 I find that all the mechanisms are in place for, for that person to arrive. And I think there is an audience there. There is a group of people. I think they're mostly in the middle, um, or, or center right. And they, they are missing a sort of, um, creative and artistic, uh, view. Yeah. And I think that's evinced by, I think Peterson is why I think this sort of, de- uh, desperate grab of Peterson by the right is proof of that, that like, it's like, Oh, thank God we, we finally have one, uh, you know, an academic, um, who's a, also a creative, uh, that we can kind of vaguely call our own. And but, but made, he but he,
0: but he falls into the almost like Tony Robbins camp, oh, right? For sure, yes, like, like he's 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 just as much of a guru and and life coach uh, as as he is just like a guy who, you know, because because I don't know, i I haven't read enough of his writing to make any kind of grand scale critiques, but he he strikes me as as a fairly utilitarian writer, like not somebody without a sense of humor, but, but, but not exactly somebody who's, who's, uh, you know, got gilded, florid prose that, that just makes you go, oh damn, that's hilarious.
1: Oh, no, his prose is pretty clunky and his, um, a lot, a lot of, I mean, his philosophical knowledge, it pretty much stops with the existentialists. Yeah. Um, well, one thing I would add is that the critical theorists are one of the things they're extremely uncomfortable with and that they like very openly dislike is the self-help genre. Oh, really? Uh, they, yes, they see it as degrading. They see this and they um, in the last uh, the Han, Byung-Chul Han book that I read uh, called Psychopolitics. Great, interesting, fascinating book he includes uh, a, a detailed quote from tony robbins really yeah yeah and, and it's this it, it's the context of the quote is that it's on a, in a chapter about uh, self-exploitation and this the overriding or the like non-stop urge that we have as a society to like constantly improve ourselves and his take is that that's uh, harmful and that we're we are sort of brainwashed into believing that that's what we need to do, and it, the, his, some of his conclusions are a little off. But I mean, it, it, like if you chart it long enough, a lot of it leads to the whole anti-work movement. Yeah, uh, which believe me, I would love to not work, but. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, uh, and 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 so uh, that's a fascinating a uh, uh, thing that the idea that self help is exploitation in that uh, and and correct me if I'm wrong the, the the again the the back of the envelope you know summation because these are obviously complex ideas that are spelled out over books and books and books mm-hmm. but is that you are. Uh, further fetishizing the idea that you can fix all your problems and not putting your time and effort into helping to build a society that would nourish everybody—is that—is that part of it?
1: Yes, and uh, it's pretty—it's pretty complicated from there because a lot of times they'll invoke Foucault as uh, and Foucault's idea that we live. And what the way Foucault saw the world and the way that was accurate at the time is that we have lived in a disciplinary society. So uh, our our life is motivated and determined by um, disciplinarian institutions. Uh, these are just, and we're punished repeatedly and we're exploited and we are essentially abused and control. so this is like Deloitte's uh, his idea of like a control society um and a lot of the critical theorists who are alive right now are saying no we've we've actually advanced beyond that we've actually even advanced beyond this like Freudian idea that uh repression uh determines most of our our life and we have we don't really suffer from wide scale societal sexual repression or even like the repression of the violent instinct. And what we what are what we've really gone into is wide scale exploitation. So we live in a society of the over positive. We live in a society okay. of like achievement and success and there there we don't we no longer need the institutions to exploit us because we do it ourselves and and han talks about like the self-exploitation of the like button like every time you hit the like button you're furthering your own the the commodification of yourself yeah <laughs> so i mean it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating idea. idea yeah
0: yeah uh and and so this is the vanguard of critical theory And and so uh, I think before we go any further, it it should be, uh, you know, we'll just paint it red one more time that, yes, indeed, this is something that comes out of Marxist thought, although, again, more complicated than that. But if you're doing some sort of, you know, Washington Post Pinocchio fact checker thing, I guess we can (laughs) we can add one nose, uh, uh, you know, to whatever side of it you want. But uh, uh, when we get to critical race theory this is what kind of evolution?
1: This is a fascinating one um, because it's, it's taking a lot of those ideas that you have. And, and this, those ideas come out of like early critical theories. So that's a guy, let's say like Theodore Adorno or Herbert Marcuse is another one. And these they're like very critical of the institutions and of the system. And there it's it's more complicated than that because they, they're like positing the idea of you know a culture industry where like we're sold things that we don't need and we we're not given the things that we do need or that we even want. Um so critical race theory really emerges in the the late 70s. That's where you get the first uh it, like appearance of it, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's within these like Two factions of American critical theory. And um, they, it's specifically a legal uh, a legal uh, theory. and that's how it started. and it uh, it started with um, and there was a there was a great uh, sort of posthumous uh, profile in The Wall Street Journal. This weekend about the, the founder of critical theory, Derek Bell, mm-hmm. who was who a professor, a legal scholar at Harvard. And uh, he essentially he started out t- discussing the need to uh, approach racism uh, from the systemic perspective. So and it's there's a there are a lot of critiques about how. The idea of race blindness that uh, Martin Luther King wanted to achieve uh, is in many ways misguided. So what we need is race uh, consciousness. Like we don't need to repress race. And like it actually needs to be present. And it's it's not exceptional. It's um, it's everywhere and it happens in most interactions especially the interactions that we have with the system as a whole
0: yeah and and, and so that is a, a an element of critical theory thought, a a subgenre or subsection of that. It goes on for many uh, uh, decades, likely read aloud at a uh, uh, very well catered dinner parties, and uh, everybody claps very politely. And uh, a a white professor looked down at the ground and said, "Wow." And and that is basically the the domain that is there for it. How does it explode into our modern political
1: context? This is where it gets a little trickier. Um it's what because what's fascinating is it, it happens with it's a group effort. Yeah. <laughs> like as, as much as it appears to be this this war, um like any like any philosophical movement or ideological movement, it cannot take place without a dialectic. So it cannot take place without these like oppositional side, a thesis and an antithesis, like working together to create what was happening right now. So um, a lot of that is, I would I would say the Atlantic and a lot of the writers at the Atlantic who began taking sort of um, like racial politics became very important uh, to the Atlantic, I think, with the rise of Trump. Yeah, and we see a lot of those writers sort of gathering, these sort of critical race um, writers gathering in uh, at, at the Atlantic. I studied under a critical race theorist in uh, grad school, uh-huh. um, and uh, she wasn't a great she wasn't a great person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, and it was and the, the specific class that I took was it was interesting because we we were all very dispersed it was this very diverse group of people and we were just kind of sat in natural places and and within like four or five classes we had auto uh auto um we separated had, yourself uh-huh yeah. on our own we had done it we had divided by race and gender and all, all the guys were right by the exit. Um, yeah. so <laughs> it was just, it was like, um, it was an interesting experiment in critical race theory, um, that I think was a, a failure. Um, because I, this is I think, for
0: you in grad school.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Personal yeah. anecdotal experience. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, but I think there's, there's an image there of, um, maybe the extremes of race consciousness. And I think that is what the right has a problem with is like, wait, I thought we agreed that Martin Luther King was, the, uh, that he posited the model that we should follow.
0: That. Oh, so that—that that is, you know, that that there is this the, this undercurrent of a philosophical battle. That, like, wait a minute, is is the point that we forget about race, or or is the point that we know very, very, very much how much race is involved in things? Because, uh, uh you know, there there would be some that would argue, well, we had a society, or we 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 hope to evolve from a society where that was the case, but now. We should just be doing it differently.
1: I guess would be the argument. For sure. and And I think with Martin Luther King, all we had was a, a, like a mediation and um, there's agreement, you know, I think conservatives agree because here's another interesting aspect of critical race theory. There, it really exposes the divide between leftists and liberals. So critical Ooh, race theory. Now I'm all about this. This
0: is another <laughs> thing that I think is very, very much, uh, uh, you know, an, an issue, an issue now that, uh, big time, you know, and you're seeing this play out in Congress, but, uh, it, it certainly exists on, on the left where, or sorry, on, on, online where, you know, the, the left, uh, excoriates the liberal as, as a, uh, as, as, as a patsy, but, but go ahead. Yeah.
1: It's interesting, uh, because, uh, I think, uh, very similar to maybe less uh, or maybe more so than online discourse. I think online discourse still includes conservatives as like the uber enemy. Yeah. Whereas um, critical race theory that that happens as well, but like going back uh, pretty much to the beginning where it's, but they don't, so they don't really talk about conservatives as much as they talk about the problem with uh, liberalism and particularly neoliberalism. Yeah. And, uh, which they, I mean, Han, uh, the critical theorist I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. is, he is very, very critical of ne- I mean, neoliberalism is just like a really bad word, uh, within to them.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. God, yeah. <laughs> I mean, cause, cause it's, it's, I mean, a, a a betrayal of betrayals right like like well to, to that to that, that 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 community it's it's not you know at, at least conservatives have the dignity to wear the opposing uniform uh <laughs> yeah. you you are 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 supposed to be in our tent and and yet you are actively working against uh these things or even worse you say you're for something until it actually matters and then you back off
1: spot on yeah, spot on, and, and it's interesting to see the uh, the leftists kind of turn against the elites uh, as as they see them, because really, like the the left is they they ha- are cultural elites, I would say, and, and this goes back to the point we had about you know it's not it's not it's because a lot a lot of ways because conservatives aren't doing enough to challenge that. So I, I think like um, you know in critical race theory you can um, you can find co- commentary about like um, Justice Thomas, yeah, and um, some of it's pretty nasty. Some of the commentary, um, and I I think it embodies one of the problems that conservatives had, which is that um, the, the this like supposedly anti racist movement winds up being racist in a way that uh, is constantly changing, but not for the good.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, it, it's, um, it's so interesting to, to get into, uh, you know, where I, I, I want to touch back on, on your point that that there is this underlining philosophical battle, uh, and, I wonder if part of this is like, you know, nothing, well, look, I, 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 I am not a gigantic fan of Candace Owens, uh, uh, in, in that I don't think she is necessarily, she's not built for rumination, right? She is, she is, she is a machine gun. She is there to fire a certain amount of bullets per minute. She is from the the cloth of, you know, Ann Coulter and Michelle Malkin and, and people like that who have women that have had tremendous careers and have made uh, a good living for themselves. So good on them. But the idea of like, all right, conservatism has not elevated its next Thomas soul. Like it's, you know, uh, or even, you know, uh, uh, there's a woman, uh, uh, Kira Davis who I follow on Twitter, who I think is, 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 is good. uh, You know, a, a, a black conservative who, you know, makes great points about her, her philosophy there
1: that Jason Riley's good too. Well. There we go.
0: Yeah. So I, I, I think that as conservative media has exploded, I do think that, and I don't think this is necessarily a conservative thing. I, I do think that part of this is a media thing that there, there tends to, <laughs> it tends to be hard for there to be more than one very famous black commentator on the right. And and I think Candace Owens kind of has that now. Uh uh, but I, I I wonder if part of it is uh, you know, on the retail side, what I said before the idea that there's this loss control, that the, the exploitation of children is just something that is always going to be a hot button issue on the right. And that's why critical race theory now has sort of exploded as something that my stepdad knows about and will, you know, like write a Facebook post. He has read none of the books that you have mentioned, would <laughs> know none of the names that you have said, has no clue where it came from, just knows yeah. that all of a sudden everybody on television is talking about this menace to the children. Yeah. Uh, but yet is there also a void of the counter argument on the right is there the void of beyond the the political of this is what these evil democrats are doing is there a philosophical void of no let's understand what this idea is and then let's let's uh, uh, advance our own Agenda, which would be interesting in this case, because as you spelled out, this would be your pro Martin Luther King argument.
1: For sure. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a shortage. I, uh, there's a guy, Christopher Rufo who's sort of there was a great uh, profile of him in The New Yorker that, you know, even he came out and said, this is a this is a pretty good summary of my views and what I have a problem with. I would I definitely recommend people checking that out because it's it's a pretty good rundown of uh, um, the sort of cultural the cultural warfare that we're seeing. Um, And he's he's uh, conservative. He writes for City Journal um, and he sort of straddles the line uh, in a position we don't we don't really see very often on the right of a, a kind of an activist theorist. Um, who, who can write, you know, and who can really go through his, his points. Um, I would also say like, I, I profiled a woman, um, uh, named Carol Swain. Mm-hmm. She's, uh, she's kind of, she's one of these, she's a black woman who grew up in one of the Southern states under an abject poverty, like absolute poverty. And through hard work and, you know, personal responsibility, she worked her way up to the Ivy League institutions. And while she was working at these institutions, she became a conservative. Yeah. And then she found that suddenly her conservatism was no longer welcome. And it, by dint of her having those opinions, she was no longer welcome. Welcome. Uh, And then she doubled down and got like Islamophobic about, things. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so she, she's an interesting, uh, she's an interesting thinker. Um, but I, I think in general, I think you're right. I think there's a, there's a, there's a glut. I will say that what I've seen from conservatives is like, uh, an engagement, like, it's refreshing to see them saying like, OK, well, uh, what do I need to know about this? Yeah. So there, there is like I have seen a lot of primers and rundowns and all of that. And on the left, I, I really haven't liked the left's response to conservatives response. Uh, I think it's like uh, it's a retreat tactic. And it's sort of a what I think there's some truth to the idea that conservatives are really worked up and it might not be as bad as they think. But uh, I don't like the left's whole tactic of like, oh, they're just this is a conspiracy theory or or Obama said, you know, conservatives are the the only ones with uh, an issue with critical race theory. It's not really that big of a deal. And I, I don't, I mean, there's a reason why this this movement is taking place uh, in front of school boards. Well, uh,
0: yeah, I, I think, look, uh, number one, we are in the dark side of the moon politically. <laughs> Like, this is when dumb stuff becomes very big. A reminder that four years ago, everybody was pretending that the rogue forestry division Twitter account was some act of tremendous defiance, you know, when it was probably just some 11-year-old copy-pasting whatever, uh, uh, you know, Pod Save America said. But it's like... Uh, uh, this is dumb. We're in a dumb period for politics. So so anybody looking for the biggest possible thing, you're you're more likely to find overinflated issues here. Now, that being said. It makes sense to me that that the idea of indoctrinating the children, which has been an issue on the right for 30 years, 40 years, uh, probably even more than that, when it comes to college. But now the idea that it is now younger and younger in public schools and blah blah blah, uh, we already have an oppositional relationship for many communities with teachers and schools because of 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 all the COVID stuff. I can see where now there is more of a fervor to to punish that idea uh, because it is a collection of a lot of things that conservatives normally get worked up about. So as a political tactic. I understand why Steve Bannon is on his podcast saying, you know, flog this pony until you get to the midterms.
1: Steve Bannon has a podcast. He does. He oh, does. That's gotta be fascinating. Um.
0: <laughs> I got into a fight with his co-host once on Twitter, or he yelled oh, at me on, on on Twitter because I had uh, I had defended uh, Olivia Nuzzy and some question that she asked to Trump, and. uh
1: and, dude, you know, Twitter, you, you're, that's like, you can move around that domain domain really well. Well, yeah. I mean, like she, she asked like the question of
0: like at that time, uh, like, you know, uh, a bunch of people had died, uh, you know, uh, people had died of COVID. Duh. Uh, but it, it was mm-hmm. like now more than whatever war, which I hate that analogy, but I do think that like, yeah. you know, the president who was running for reelection at the time, uh, getting that question and being able to answer it is part of what you need to do to run for president. Like, you know, you're going to get tougher mm-hmm. questions from the press. And yes, even ones that are designed to screw with you, like that's just part of the game. Uh, and then I got yelled at by Steve Bannon's couple <laughs> saying, like, whoa, that's that tells you it's everything amazing. you need to know about the press, that they're playing the opposition. And it's like, well, so like you ever read Olivia Nussie's stuff? Like, like, she she made I, I think she's very nice. I met her once. And I think she's a fantastic writer, but like, you know, she's made her bones like embarrassing a geriatric Rudy Giuliani. Like, you know, she's she's there to write unflattering pieces about politicians.
1: Yeah, it's. It, God, you're you are a fascinating man. Um. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, anyway, 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 anyway. Uh, Here's go the ahead. cosmic element that I let's would Let's go, I, let's go. You're right, because we, we always, we dive into the cosmic side of things. Yeah. And the, the cosmic side of things is where I find tremendous hope. Um, so none of us, uh, none of us alive right now has been alive very long. Um, and we, our account of previous society I mean it exists all around. the fact that we're having this conversation right now is incredible. I mean, you're in Austin, mm-hmm. I'm in Tulsa mm-hmm. and we we can see each other and we yes. can have this discussion and it's going to go out to millions of people and what's fascinating to me is that's almost a platitude there's there's no long that is no longer a profound idea to us because it's so normal um but the one thing I have to sort of remind myself in this sort of like buddha or um Uh, you know, we're here for a very limited time. Like, like doesn't matter what your opinion on the afterlife or, or, you Mm -hmm. know, pre-birth even we're, what we know is that the maximum amount of time that you get, like within our lifetimes is about a a hundred and 110 is the max. And that's,
0: and you're, and you are redlining, like you are, you are right until the wheels fall off at that point.
1: Oh you're, yeah. You're yeah. Doing, like doing that in your free time. Cause it's all free time. Yeah. Um, but, um, what, what we can do is, uh, while we're here is sort of live as meaningfully as possible. And it's very easy for us to get caught up in the, the like struggle and the it's, it's very easy to, uh, to act and react emotionally and guided by our emotions. And I think with regard, I think why critical theory is, is very important to, uh, right now is that it's, it's like opening up this conversation that um, a set of conversations that need to happen. Like the, and this goes back to Hegel's dialectic, like this idea that it's history is determined by opposing views and the clash of opposing views leads to synthesis. Yeah. So Like the, we take these opposite views and they turn into something that's meaningful and that guides us forward. Uh so I think that's what I'm having to remind myself a lot and it, it might be like me just trying to you know justify the craziness of our job, but I think there is a way to find meaning in it that uh can kind of calm us all down and say, okay, what is this really about um and from there I I guess I haven't even talked to you about this, but I'm working on a book right now. I'm like 70, 60, 70% through. Uh And it's a lot of it is involved with this idea that like cohesion is how we move forward and cohesion is really uncomfortable. And, uh, but it's necessary. So in our lifetime, we're going to face some really uncomfortable divides. And the thing to do when we're approached with these uncomfortable divides is to try and slowly work our way toward a, an agreement. And that's what Martin Luther King did. Um, th- that's what made, I mean, he was clashing against, uh, um, a race, a racist system yeah and a society that was not ready to treat him like a human being. Um, so there, I see a lot of hope in what we're going through. You
0: know, I, I think the other thing is, and this was, all right, so we're, we're going to really get meta here, but like, I've been listening to some stuff uh, uh, about like the fifties, uh, this one of my favorite podcasts, you must remember this. And uh, all they're talking about is like how Hollywood changed in, in the world of gossip reporters through the fifties and the sixties. And then I'm also listening to Bob Barker's autobiography, which don't ask, but- Bob Barker's autobiography, which is read by him in the audiobook. and I would highly uh, recommend listening to it if just so you could just I hear was hoping Bob Adam Barker. Adam Sandler
1: would uh, narrate
0: it. Oh my God, yeah, he, but it's just like like uh, he's just going through all of his time on like truth or consequences in like the fifties, <laughs> and he's like, there was a man dressed like a chimpanzee. Boy was uh, uh, the 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 audience member uh, really mad when the chimpanzee got out of the cage. Anyway,
1: uh, (laughs) one of the things
0: that I've found the most exciting about getting old is you start to notice the revolutions of the world and the Mm -hmm. things that seemed shocking and chaotic when I was younger now kind of look familiar because you've seen the things both small and large uh, uh, go by, which makes me think about more like, okay, well, what are the epics that I, that are too big for me to know that I'm, I'm noticing the ripples. Can I read that out further? And as I listen to all these things about the fifties and one take that is from a modern take, that is very critical of how people handle things. One Bob Barker, remembering his early career in this amazing <laughs> golden hued version. If you look at the fifties and sixties and seventies and as this moment of chaos, and then the 80s as a regrouping of order, and then the 90s becomes possibly the final strike of chaos that sets everything loose. Because at that point, we are now breaking the institutions. We're breaking media. We are breaking movies. We are breaking all these things that used to be our our gathering points now are gone. And now we are all kind of scattered. Then it makes sense that, The the reaction will be order like we are in a a point where we no longer fetishize chaos. You know, the the, the 90s and the 2000s were all about break the machines, break, Mm -hmm. break the uh, record labels, break the uh, uh, movie studios like, oh, isn't it great that that. uh, Film hero Harvey Weinstein is putting independent movies in the Oscars and stuff like that, you know. And then we get to this point where it's like, no, 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 we don't like chaos anymore. Too much chaos. We need some order. We need we need to to bring some level of of stability. But how do you do that in a world that just killed all of its through lines? And so uh, uh, that's that's what when I look at at an argument like this, I do wonder you know, if it is not just another proxy of we've gone too far, like it's one thing to talk about this. It's one thing to even have marches or, or, or whatever about it, but now making it mandatory in my child's school. And again, uh, we are, we are now we're into the bumper sticker version of it and not the, the, the larger version, yeah. but that's where it's like, Oh, okay. If, if in a cultural epic, we are at a moment of order, then then we don't want the order to include this this is the 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 resettling of the order now there's going to be the fight of of what is the new in and 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 the new out uh and and that's that's what i find i find fascinating and and i really love your complication of it that it's like no there needs to be for conservatives there needs to be a philosophical war fought as well because no matter what you can push and and push on this idea of whether or not it's included or not. But if you are not bringing your own idea, then that idea will flourish. The op- the opposition.
1: There was, a, I agree. There was a study in the, I think, 60s or 70s where they uh, took black children and they showed them a white Santa and a black Santa and told them to assign a, a value to each. And they assigned a negative value to the black Santa. And when they, when the researchers asked them why they just said, well, this fits within the the good, bad paradigm. And a lot of times what you see is this like moment of these little children coming to the conclusion, like, Oh, I think that black Santa is bad. That I am. I, I see myself in that and I see myself as bad. And that's kind of what they yeah. came a lot of it came to the, and that is that is heartbreaking dude that is that's we don't need that like we we need representation for everybody like and that's what the the a lot of the critical theorists are coming to the conclusion and, and the irony because the irony is like without that sort of revolution there there is no canoidans like yeah. the there is there is. I mean, there's there's certain there's certainly no uh, Barack Obama like we, we have to have this this back and forth. And, it, it, and it, I mean, it's just the dialectic. It's just a dialectical movement of history.
0: Well, we've already gone way over, uh, but I I, I could have seen that coming a mile away. I love our conversations, Even with with like little to no actual topic, I know that I could talk to Kevin Ryan forever. Kevin, uh, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You working on anything uh, uh, interesting coming up?
1: Uh, It's going to be, the book is about a a year out. Um, So we're just, I'm just going through all the complicated red tape and trying to finish off the first full draft. So that yeah. I'll, I'll be back uh, before then. Uh, but oh, other yeah. than that, no, nothing, uh, nothing really short term. Um, sure. So maybe within the next couple months, I'll have something in the meantime, I'm just going to be posting random stuff on Twitter.
0: Which I didn't even get to. There was this whole thing that you posted with a, uh, a uh, Bill Barr uh, uh, finally talked to somebody and there was a back and forth between him and Trump, which I thought was fascinating mostly because my favorite part of that article it's all about Bill Barr dealing with the very end, the, the the dregs of the of the Trump presidency, and how much he was under pressure to uh, investigate these things that were being fed to Trump by Giuliani and Sidney Powell, and uh, uh, he doesn't. But then writes this and gets just excoriated by Trump, uh, you know, in person. And then decides to resign and writes a very, very, very nice resignation letter. And just the final line, just chef's kiss and just Trump going, hey, this is good. <laughs> Which I just, the bizarre creature that is the, the, the 45th president of the United States uh, uh, oh, uh, will, be, will be a point of fascination forever. Uh, I
1: agree.
0: Uh, all right, uh, Kevin, thank you so much.
1: Always a pleasure, dude.
0: Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to uh, find our awesome guest, Kevin Ryan on the Twitter, you do so, px3guest.com. Please email me, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. I want to uh, go ahead and put something out there. One of our longtime listeners is a college grad this year and he was like hey look i know it's a real bummer for me because my college is still not doing an actual graduation so not only would i like a shout out and i will give this man a shout out but he was selfless enough to say if you are also a recent college grad and i'm going to go ahead and extend it to this year or last year Please hit me up. We'll do our own little... In fact, maybe I'll do my own little convocation. I'll do my own little uh, 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 message to graduates right here on this podcast, and I will dedicate it to all of you guys who are graduating. Just go ahead and write in American at gmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter. PX3 tweets. Twitch is PX3 live. Newsletter is px3newsletter.com. And our podcast, if you'd like to share it, is px3podcast.com. You can get our merch, politicsmerch.com. If you would like to directly support the show, you can do so by joining into one of the greatest debates in monetary history. Are these currencies real or are they just numbers on a computer screen? If you want to test PayPal, you can do so. paypal.me slash payjury. On Cash App, PX3 Cash, or Venmo, Justin Young 20. And the debating has been fast and furious. Somebody gave me a dollar and said, Hey, look, I'm willing to believe that Venmo money isn't real. You just have to explain it to my bank. To which I say, Brother, Venmo isn't a bank. Checkmate. Not real. Not real. If it's not real, you might as well send it to me. Again, slash paid jury, Venmo, Justin-Young-20, and Cash App, PX3Cash. If you would like to send anything physical my way, you can do so at P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. And I would like to thank, I got three amazing collections of historic campaign buttons sent to me by a listener by the name of Brett. Uh, You are a God. There is some good stuff in there. I like the loser campaigns. That's what I like. Those are my favorite because I can wear those and people, you know, won't think that I'm like a diehard of somebody who won. I'm really just a dead end loser who likes to appreciate everybody who doesn't, uh, who doesn't achieve their goals. Of course, if you want to get bonus content, the only place to do that is takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic $10 tier, including... Headphones, Neil, Dr. G, The Other Half of Whiskey, Wednesday, Idris, The Government Unfiltered, Podcast, 100 Mile Runner, Berkeley, Stephen, Kathy, Mac, Zombie, Doc, D, Really? Methuselah, Honeythuckle, The Gen, Middle Age Mike, dot com Junkie, Calamity Zap, D, Laser, Lord Scale, de Quince, Anile III, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, Chad, David Snuffies off Route 44. Charles, Olin and Angela, DL, Miranda, Janelle, Jenny, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Will, Frozen Summers, Jay Pink and Andrew. One more time, you want your name read aloud? You do so by heading on over to takepoliticsseriously.com. Okay, next episode, On Friday, on the free feed, we're going to have Bill Share. That's going to be our big breakdown of what's happening right now in the Senate and the House, the fault lines of whether or not this infrastructure thing is going to happen, what it's going to look like. Nobody that I follow is, is as plugged in to the strategy of legislation, the strategy of legislation. The strategery. As much as Bill share of Washington Monthly, he will join us yet again then. Until that time, though, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young reminding you that some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh.
1: Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio